ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. All pensions and child endowment monies are at present handled by the station manager who uses them to offset credit buying at the station store. What's left goes into a trust fund which the native can't touch without government permission. From the late 1800s until the early 1970s, thousands of Aboriginal people who worked across Western Australia were subject to wage control legislation, which allowed the state government to withhold their wages. The chief protector himself said that the conditions in the north of Western Australia, the people employed in the pastoral industry, it was effectively semi-slavery. Yesterday, surviving Aboriginal workers and relatives won a $180 million settlement from the WA government for those stolen wages. There's recognition that there was slavery and that our families worked hard to help build WA. I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide coming to you from Wajak Country, Perth. The WA government will pay nearly more than $180 million to settle a class action brought on behalf of thousands of Aboriginal Australians who had their wages withheld while subject to onerous legislation. The class action was brought by Kimberly Stockman and artist Mervyn Street, who worked on stations for most of his life and was not paid a wage until he reached his 30s. His complaint was regarding a policy in place between 1936 and 1972 that allowed the state government to withhold up to 75% of an Aboriginal person's wage. Murrawong elder David Newry gave evidence during the class action on behalf of the members of his family who lived and worked on Ivanhoe and Newry stations in the East Kimberley. For him, it's a complicated feeling of relief. Well, I mean, I can't get any more joyous about it, you know. And and I think... um it's about time that they um, recognise something like this for the hard work that our people have put, you know, How? Well, including myself probably. But um, it's a worthwhile thing, you know, um, and, and for to really point out that um, our people were the backbone of the cattle industry. Do you think that this is recognition now that, as you say... Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's all to do with the effort that our people have have put and through hardship, you know, like um, our, our people are just basically tr- treated like um, slave. Has it been difficult for you to be part of this court case process? Well, it did. I mean, you know, the the hardest part for me was talking about my family, how they've been treated in, in court, you know, where, where one of my father's, father brother got tied to a tree and got whipped for not hopping on a horse that morning because he was um, really sick in the stomach, you know? Mm. And and that kind of thing, uh, that sort of information was really um, hard for us to, to, to tell other people about it, you know, especially in court. You must be glad that you've pushed through that. Yeah, and, you know, some of the people that have waited since the time when the the, um, the lawyers came to, when they gave us that information about this um, class action thing, um, few of them have passed away now, you know, and hoping that that be some of the recipient uh, uh, about this um, royalty that people are getting, you know. 
like last year, one of my, my, my mother passed away, or year before last, sorry. And she's not won't be able to get what she deserved, you know? Yeah. It's 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 good in one way, but then it's like it's um something that um feel a bit sad too in a way. That where people were just about to get these things but just couldn't make it to the end, you know? Glad in one way, but in the other way again it's it's a sad thing for me that I know that my, my people deserve this more. You know, my parents actually and my uncles and yeah, well, all my family, the elderly family, or the elderly one, um, you know, they were the one that should have been receiving a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. And but it's um, yeah, and for me, you know, um, like they're gone now, and it's a really mournful feeling for me, really. Just so that they're not here with us now to hear this kind of news, you know. Mirawang Elder David Newry speaking to our reporter in Connanara, Alice Marshall. You're listening to Australia Wide with me, Sinead Mangan. Jump in the car and buckle up and we can Any parent can tell you the sound of the wiggles on repeat is enough to drive you round the bend. The wiggle hits can be heard every day blaring near a large music pavilion in Bunbury in the southwest of Western Australia. The repetitive music is part of a strategy by local council to encourage rough sleepers to move on. The council say music is a common method in WA to discourage people to congregate permanently in an area, but critics say it's a tactic that lacks compassion. George Loney has this story. Hot potato, hot potato, hot potato, hot potato. Hot potato. The sound of the wiggles is blasting out of speakers across a park in Bunbury in Western Australia. The music's loud and playing on repeat. It's part of the local council strategy to discourage rough sleepers from congregating at the Graham Bricknell Music Shell. The music pavilion is out of the elements and many homeless people choose to shelter there day and night. Leslie Riley has been sleeping rough at the shelter for about four weeks now. He says the constant sound is driving him to distraction. The music, it drives us nuts. Yeah, it's going, you know, like, yeah, we get sick of it. You know, we get frustrated. People pass through here also and, and then they compliment, you know, they, they comment on the music. Does that go all the time? Should see into it, you know. So basically I went down to the Shire yesterday and they said that they um, took a council down there because I wanted to see them about other reasons as well. Um, and I went down there and they basically said, no, it's got nothing to do with us. But yeah, no, it, it gets to you. First night I stayed here, that played all night, but it was a bit softer. But for two days, that song rung around in my head, just going over and over and over like a broken record. Why do you think they're playing it? Um, why? Because they don't want us here. They don't want us here at all. Um, yeah, so it's a shame, you know, like we've got nowhere else to go. In a statement to the ABC, the city of Bunbury says it was receiving increasing reports of antisocial behaviour and costly damage due to the increase of people setting up camp in the area. Bunbury Mayor Jason McGill said music was a common method in WA to discourage people from congregating permanently in an area. He said the volume was louder than intended because someone had broken into the sound system but has since been turned down to acceptable levels. Evan Nunn is the CEO of Accord West, an organisation that supports the homeless. He says the use of loud music to move people on lacks compassion. I don't understand why somebody whoever's doing it would do that if they have compassion 
for what's happening to harmless people and where, where harmless people are, are um, situated at the moment. The options for harmless people are very few. They are moving from place to place in order to find shelter, in order to find companionship and just supports. And um, that's happening across the whole region. Any community that's involved in this and any particular person that's taking this action probably needs to understand the rights of the people that they're actually impacting and also needs to understand the situation and what supports are available, what ways we, we can assist those people, how we can work together to make um, homeless brief um, and, non, and, and non-reoccurring and rare. This isn't the first time Bunbury Council has used music in a bid to drive away the homeless. In 2017, the council came under fire for playing Peter Allen's I Go to Rio on a loop at the same location. Bunbury MP Don Punch says he's disappointed that the city has revisited this approach, particularly given there were a number of services available in town to help the homeless. I do think it's disappointing that that's happened. Um, I wasn't aware of it. What we have done since this, the issue of rough sleepers of the found shelters came up a number of years ago, we have actually got a number of funded services who are there to work with rough sleepers and try and resolve the issues that have led to them um, sleeping out in the open. And uh, council has been part of that process in the past, and clearly if the, if the council's had to resort to playing music again, which is pretty disappointing, then that uh, process isn't working, and I, I think it's important to get the agency and council together and just work out what we need to do to make sure there's a positive response to uh, help support these people. Bunbury MP Don Punch finishing Georgia Loney's story there. And the ABC did reach out to the Wiggles to find out what they thought about it. A spokesperson said the Wiggles music is created to bring joy and happiness to children and families around the world. And we are deeply disappointed to hear that it is being used in any other way. This is ABC Australia-wide. Australia is home to some of the oldest languages in the world, with some First Nations languages being used for tens of thousands of years. Now, Indigenous language experts say a new mobile keyboard app that translates English words into Aboriginal languages could be a game-changer when it comes to learning and preserving those languages. The app has been designed by the WCC Language Project, a government-funded organisation that works with community to create resources in language. Georgina Carroll has this story. First Nations woman Roxanne Atkinson grew up speaking her native Yorta Yorta language after learning it from her mother. It's very special. I feel very good that I'm able to make the resources and get the language out there. Passed down from my mother and grandmother and my great-grandmother. It's something that we need to keep on using. Eager to teach others, Miss Atkinson created homemade board games for young students. Now, she's thrilled to have helped develop a new Indigenous language app called Garay. It was a dream to have our language in a keyboard for the phone. The app can translate English words into seven different Aboriginal languages, including Mutti Mutti, Wadi Wadi and Yorta Yorta. Joel Harrison from the Wiradjuri Kondobolan Corporation's Language Project helped design the technology. It's derived from the Wiradjuri word meaning change or refreshment. That's a keyboard app or keyboard extension that lets users, as they, they type, it shows contextually relevant words from the dictionary app's contents and allows them to kind of with autocorrect tap the word and it replaces the word in language. After working closely with communities, he hopes to include more Indigenous languages in the future. Every language group that we work with 
is different. A lot of these groups we've had ongoing relationships with for multiple years now. And it's just talking to each community contact or whether it's a, an elder or a, a language knowledge holder. Each group, the language is completely different. So it's, yeah, each, each one comes with its own hurdles to get over and, and challenges and, and whatnot. But it's, it's an amazing thing to work on every day. The app has been designed so that anyone interested in language is able to use it with ease. They're targeted at, at everyone from, you know, Indigenous Australians to non-Indigenous Australians. And it's, it's really an additional um, resource tool for language learners and cultural explore, exploration. Um, and it's just, it's something to be in, used, you know, as, as a part of a toolkit um, for language learners, you know, in inclusion with physical resources, but um, also most importantly, the way that language had been has been taught for thousands of years, which is, is face-to-face. While it's still early days for Garay, the feedback has been positive so far. It's been great so far with a lot of the apps when we, we start them. It, you know, it does take time to get the, the word out there. And um, obviously with this uh, type of app as well, it does take a little bit of time to educate people on, you know, how it works. Dr Doug Marmion is the director of the Australian Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies Centre for Australian Languages. He says Garay has the potential to grow the number of Indigenous language speakers. Over time, as they use them, if you don't already know the word, this is a chance to learn it. And even if you do know the word, it helps you remember it and use it appropriately in your text. So I think it's a very useful addition to people wanting to learn their language and to get in the habit of using it to communicate, because that's really where you actually uh, learn languages by actually using it. He's also eager to see how the next generation responds to the technology. For young people who, uh, well, even all of us use our phones a lot of the time, and young people in particular, and the easier it is to access knowledge about their language and to learn new words, I think that's got to be a good thing. And he hopes resources like Garay can help preserve Indigenous languages for the future. These languages are uh, a central part of the, the heritage of Indigenous Australia. So, of course, for Indigenous Australians, they're really, really important. And I think all Australians should take pride and interest in them as a, a, a huge part of the cultural heritage of this country. I um, feel very lucky. Um, and that's why I try and help people, um, you know, spread the language and get people to know as much as they can about the language. Um, Yeah, because that's what we need to do is just keep the language with us and get to know it and learn it. Yorta Yorta woman Roxanne Atkinson finishing that story from Georgina Carroll and Branson Gibson. ABC Australia Wide. And remember, if you are listening to a podcast, why not put Australia Wide in your staple or stable, I should say. If you go to the ABC Listen app, you'll find Australia Wide there and just hit subscribe and it's there anytime you want to listen to it. Now, if you had a World War II bunker hidden somewhere on your property, would you keep it? For 90-year-old Terry Germain, his bunker is the perfect spot to store vintage motorcycles. And our reporter, Amelia Searson, visited the bunker in WA Southwest to see what's left of Terry's impressive collection. Hidden under Jarrah trees and behind an impressive green shed at a Southwest property is a concrete reminder of the Second World War. When Terry Germain found out the property he was thinking of buying back in the late 80s had an underground war bunker hidden on it, he knew he'd found his new home. I bought this whole property in 1987 and uh, I bought it because of this bunker because I fell in love with it as soon as I saw it. Terry knew exactly what to use the underground bunker for. Restoring vintage motorcycles.
It's been a, a, a real treat to be able to work in the cool during the hot summers because it's beautiful and cool down here. And then I end up in the shed working on bikes in the wintertime. The bunker was built in the early 1940s and used for communications during the war. I understand, but not dead true, that about 19 of them right up this coast. And this was the main communication you know, that they reported to and it was recorded and all that sort of thing. What they used in those days, oh, God knows, it was pretty ancient, I would imagine. But the bunker itself, at the end of the war, it was still got all the wire and communication stuff in there but that all gradually got stolen by all kinds of people who needed, for instance, they needed wiring for cow sheds. Instead of paying for it, they pinched it from here. <laughs> Terry says at his peak, he had 40 rare and restored motorcycles in the bunker. I got very, very ill back, back in about 2004. I was so ill, I decided to sell everything. So I sold 16 or 18 bikes, but just about all I got except for three. And then when I got better, I thought, what did I do that for? <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> and started rebuilding up and back up with the collection again. The bunker has become what Terry describes as a bit of a man cave, the perfect spot for him and his fellow motorcycle enthusiasts to hang out. We meet every now and again on a Wednesday and go for a, a, just a local ride. And of those 30 blokes, 10 or 12 will come here every Wednesday for coffee. <laughs> it's a bit like a men's club. <laughs> Terry's wife, Rita, says it's important for men to have spaces where they can enjoy their hobbies. I think this is marvellous. I think this is really what men should do. And I'm so glad it's changing for men that before they retire, they should have a hobby or an interest, not necessarily something that takes up all their time. Terry's always had an interest in motorbikes. He didn't have the time when we were in business or working. But now this is keeping him going. He's 90 years old now and is still restoring. Rita says her secret to a happy marriage that spanned more than 50 years is appreciating your partner's different interests. I support him 100%. We've got different interests. He's clay target shooting as well as this. I play golf, but also I love line dancing. I've done that for 30-odd years and I still love it. But I think it's important that people, to stay together, need separate interests and support each other. She says the bunker has also played a part in helping the pair grow closer. Terry's put the work in and the money to get it cleared. Obviously, you've got to have you know these enormous trees. You've got to have people that know what they're doing. And it's been worth it. Look at it now. It's, it's beautiful. You know, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. And that's why we've got to keep each other going, because we don't want to go anywhere else. <laughs> at 90 years of age, Terry has sold most of his bikes. He's not quite sure what's next for the bunker, but one thing's for certain... It's not going anywhere. It's been an absolute paradise and a, and a wonderful place to be. What a fantastic story. That's 90-year-old Terry Germain and we also heard his wife, Rita. And the secret to success is a couple who've been together for a very long time and obviously very happily so. And thanks to Amelia Searson for that story. And finally, here on Australia Wide, we're going to head to Mount Isa when self-taught musician Wade Forster invited one of America's biggest country singers to a rodeo. He didn't expect him to say yes, let alone take part. Now the Queensland station worker has his sights set on touring the US with his idols. Emily Dobson caught up with the rising country star. Yeah, I know what the town's talking about. So yeah, um, there was a TikTok posted a while back and um, Cody Johnson wanted to win a buckle in Australia 
I sort of jumped at it and said, hey, mate, I'll put you on any of a, any horses you want. I've got a few here, so you and me can rope at any rodeo. He messaged me a couple of days later, and I was like, I can't believe it's actually him. But, yeah, he was him. He called me after a bit, and uh, we sorted it out. We went to Townsville Rodeo up there at the North Queensland Elite and um, went in the team roping together. We'd only practiced once, about maybe an hour or two beforehand. Proud of international superstar and country music singer, Brody Johnson. You're watching. We would have put a good time on the board, he just was a bit too fast getting out. We got one caught for about seven something with a penalty of ten seconds, but you know, it's a pretty cool story. And then after that I went to Melbourne, played um on the Luke Combs tour with Cody, you know, twenty five thousand people in the stands like before that. I was playing at the Mount Isa Golf Club for about fifty, so a bit different, eh? What was that like? Even the first time you get the message coming through, Cody Johnson, this big music star in America is sending you a message. Are you sort of thinking, I'm getting scammed here? No, I definitely had to make sure it was him. But that, that phone call he did with me, you know, definitely solidified it. And um, it was a pretty cool experience. So, like, it's weird because Cody and me like, good mates now. And Cody's just like me. He's just a cowboy fellow that sings. So, radio before singing and that, you know. So, that's pretty much our life. So, as soon as we linked up, we were just, yeah, we were into her. <laughs> your times in your usual crowd that you're playing to by, you know, tens of thousands. What was that like? Oh, I remember being that nervous before I walked on the stage there, and they surround you every angle, 360 degrees, and you can just see people and phones. And um, I stood on the stage, and they said my name, and the whole place blew up. They must have thought I was from America, <laughs> but um, little did they know I'm from Winton, Queensland. You know. <laughs> Nervous before you got out, but you looked pretty confident once you got onto the stage and got into it. Is that you sort of found your flow? Yeah, well, it comes hand in hand with radio, I guess. If you're going to be nervous, you might as well get it out of your way. So just, I went up there and owned the stage, you know, it's the only way to do it. Same in radio, if you're nervous, you're not going to get much done. So I just went out there like it was any other day in the arena and, yeah, showed up and showed out. It's sort of been like a golden ticket for you now. As you say, you were drinking backstage with Luke Combs and then now have a good mate in Cody Johnson, two really big players in country music across the world. And so you're packing your bags and going to head over and join them. Yeah, so I'll leave in January next year, go over there, do a heap of shows and sing all across the country and hopefully get to rodeo a bit there. Wouldn't mind bulldogging and team roping over there and some bigger rodeos like Pendleton and, you know, if i got my chances right, you know, Calgary or something like that. But um, I'd just be happy to go over there. So I'll be over there for about two years making songs and... Hopefully getting the chances of a lifetime. Not many Australian artists can get this chance, so I'm definitely going to take it with all I can. What What will you be doing um, in the meantime just to sustain yourself while you try to make it big? I'll definitely be working ranch. Ranch work, nothing different to being over here. Like this week I branded 200, 200 head of calves and you know, put a 1,000 through the yards on horses and bikes. You know, Over there they're probably doing the same thing, so I'll just do it over there. Is there anything that's really on the wish list? You've already sort of had a pretty good year in 2023. Anything else that you're wanting to do in the next two years while you are in America? Something that's really standing out to you? Oh, it would be good to play at Red Rocks, you know. That's that's a pretty cool venue, or, you know. if oh, It's a big goal, but Grand Old Opry, if I've made it there, I'll make it anywhere. So if I get to play at the Grand Old Opry, I'd be smiling here to ear. 
and I guess it's all just sort of fallen into place for you. You've just really been doing your thing, you know, between rodeo and making music and it's opened up a lot of doors to you. Is that the approach you're going to take when you are over in the US? Yeah, nothing really changes. you got to keep smiling and, and, you know, be humble and don't let it all get to your head and that's the way I've always wanted to be. That's why I, I, I like it so much because I try to be friends with all the fans and, you know, as soon as someone comes up and says they like my music, I've given them a handshake or a hug, you know, because they're supporting me. That Not not many people, not many artists are dumb, go out of their way like that, but, you know, I'm a radio fella first, so that's what we like doing. We're just happy someone's supporting us, so definitely going over there. Hopefully I can get the Americans to see us Australian cowboys and, you know, this is how we do it and introduce the uh, Australian country music scene over there as well? Yeah, oh, it's been done by a few fellas like Keith Urban and that, but, you know, they haven't seen a rodeo cowboy yet. They haven't seen, you know, one that rides and ropes like me. I'm not saying I'm the best rodeo cowboy, but definitely better than Keith Urban at rodeo, and I dare say. What a character, just a cowboy fella that sings Wade Forster there, chatting to our reporter Emily Dobson. And that is Australia Wide for this Thursday. I'm Sinead Mangan. I hope you're having a lovely evening. Cheerio. ABC Listen.